0: Welcome to Witchful Thinking, a podcast all about being a witchy woman in the modern world we live in. Each week, you can listen to these two witches banter about witchcraft, spell work, current events, intuitive wellness, spirituality, astrology, tarot, and much more. Our goal here on Witchful Thinking is to create content that informs and centers our listeners and helps them look at the world around them in a much more meaningful, magical way. Thanks so much for tuning in, and be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram for daily updates. Welcome back to Wishful Thinking, everybody. Um, This is episode number 51, and we're talking about a whole new series today, actually.
1: Yeah. Hello.
0: So we're going to be talking about inner child work, and it's like 10 o'clock at night, Eastern time, so I feel really tired, and I am going to try to keep my energy up, (laughs)
1: but I'm really tired. I just drank like a 12-ounce coffee. It's 8 p.m. my time, so I can probably uh, have energy for the both of us.
0: Okay, good. Because I'm gonna be on mute for some of this, munching on cheesy bread. <laughs> <laughs> I can't lie. That's literally you see my mouth full, I need you to keep talking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was telling Brooke that cheesy bread is literally the answer to everything. That that can turn my day around instantly.
0: I feel like it upped my mood. Like once I came back in here with it, I was like bouncing a little bit like, (laughs) (laughs) oh shit. But um, so first things first, people, if you missed our last episode, what are you doing? Second of all, if you did miss it, you also missed the announcement of our first launch merch. So if you haven't been able to check the shop out, definitely go
1: (laughs) do that. You said our first launch merch. Our oh, first, first, me. first launch. Fuck
0: <laughs> me! <laughs> I said I was tired. <laughs> I got our, you.
1: Our first merch launch.
0: <laughs> yeah, pick it, pick it up where I left off.
1: <laughs> so yeah, um, check out our Instagram page. Go to our link tree hit up the site check out what we've got going on we just launched it last week and uh yeah we're really excited um thank you to everybody who has already purchased things and we can't wait to see pictures of you wearing things using things um please send us your photos if you like that makes us super happy and yeah Brooke and I have been wearing Brooke and I have been wearing ours. Um, and we took a matching photo on FaceTime together. Wearing our matching merch. It's so cute. My
0: fucking mouth is full. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, you gotta get your serotonin where you can, and that's cheesy cheesy bread is definitely serotonin. Mm-hmm. 100 percent
0: As I swallow my lactate pill. The, that is serotonin as well <laughs> keep your keep your stomach happy god as happy as it's gonna get yeah my stomach um, yeah but um yeah so make sure that you check that link out What was I gonna say shit oh, what? what the fuck was i saying i will put the link to the store in the description of this episode and it'll also be on our link tree just like liz said or um, we made a little post last wednesday Mm-hmm. And just, you know kind of like uh, just a little swipe through you could see some of the merch but obviously to see all of the available merch go to the website and let us know if you have any issues ordering but we really appreciate you guys and uh more merch is actually on the way so i believe hoodies are different or yeah hoodies are going to be dropped and different designed crew differently designed crew whatever can't speak Harley, can you chill? I'm trying to make an announcement, and you know what? I'm already having a hard enough time as it is. <laughs> Sit down. I just saw uh, his little butt walk past the screen, and it wiggled. I'm a shaky butt boy. Um, but, yeah, so we just wanted to we just wanted to make that little announcement, and we're super grateful for all of you who were excited before we launched it and, and um, had questions about stuff. And, I don't know, it was just really encouraging for us. So, yeah. yeah. Let us know what you order. We're super excited for you to get your stuff in the mail. And yeah, so uh, enough about us. <laughs> <laughs> um, to start out this series, we wanted to talk about attachment types um, because obviously you're, when, you, when a person does inner child work, you can't even begin to know how to do that unless you understand what areas of your childhood you're still kind of healing from or what, what wounds you received in childhood that affect your adult relationships. And those, that gets traced back to attachment styles. So we decided (laughs) to take a quiz beforehand to check, um, you know, like what kind of attachment styles we have. Mm Mm-hmm our quiz, we'll link it below the one that we took. Um, it's called the attachment or what was it? Attachmentproject.com.
1: Yeah. Attachmentproject.com. And I like that one because it's only five minutes. Like it's super quick. I looked at a couple others and it was like, it's going to take you 20, 30 minutes to take this quiz. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really want that. (laughs) So, um, so I just picked a very simple one. The website's aesthetic. Like it's really cute. So, um, uh, so we took that one. Just a heads up. So um, this particular website, we'll end up going into the the different types of attachment styles, um, which are secure, anxious, um, dismissive, and disorganized. Um, but this website does call anxious, preoccupied. So throughout throughout this episode maybe we can try to say both like anxious slash preoccupied or just to not confuse anybody if you do your own research but just a heads up this quiz does use the term preoccupied but that does equal an anxious attachment style so
0: yeah and we're still not really sure exactly like why um it's like coined that uh I, I don't I don't really get it but um the, the research that I had done before called it anxious resistant and I don't really know like how I don't really know how resistant and preoccupied like you know the two words like intertwine I don't know Yeah. whatever yeah. but just know that whenever we say anxious resistant excuse me I just burped or preoccupied we we mean the same thing yeah so just to start off Um, If you don't understand really what it means to have an inner child or like what inner child work is, um, everyone, first of all, everybody has an inner child. Um, When we say someone is being childish, when they're angry or they're upset or even I feel like some people's inner child can come out even when they're excited, like they might clap their hands or like jump up and down. And like, that's Mm -hmm. not bad. You know, like an inner child does not, having an inner child doesn't mean that you act childish, but it's just like, just,
1: you know, we're, I almost think of it as like, like there's an inner, everybody has an inner Peter Pan, you know, there are parts of us that are just never going to grow up. And even though you, obviously you are a very different person from who you were as a child, like that child was still you just because you've grown, you've learned, you've been educated, you've had experiences, all these things um, have progressed through your life. Um, that child was still you, and you still have lasting effects of things that happened to you in your childhood, good and bad.
0: Exactly. Like our, our inner child is the part of us or the part of our, our brains, I guess, that came to be or formed when we were really little. And it sticks out in your adult life because of a lack of ability to emotionally cope with certain situations or stressors or adult relationships or just other people in general. Mm -hmm. Um, So I took some notes. So I'm going to like read a few of them because I can't remember all this right now. Um, Honestly, my brain is fried and this cheesy (laughs) bread is opposite of helping me. (laughs) Because <laughs> it's kind of hard as a rock, and I'm just kind of looking down at it, like I want to fight, <laughs> but I'm like, is it worth it though? <laughs> like, but um, so a lot of times we will get stuck in the same emotional states we were in as children, especially when we're upset or we feel unsafe. Um, our relationships with our parents or our parent figures. So if you're like me and you were raised by someone other than your mother um, or dad, I was raised by my dad and my grandma. Um, those relationships make the foundation for all of our adult relationships. So you can trace everything, the way that you treat other people as an adult, the way that you interact with people romantically as an adult, you can trace all of that back to your home base. Um, And these relationships are called attachments. And actually I I was reading in like a medical journal last week, the theory of attachment comes from a study that was done back in the 50s where a psychoanalyst named John Bowlby studied children with their mothers in a room and in the study the mothers would they were told to leave and then come back to the room and then their kids reactions were recorded so these kids would do different things to get their mother's attention or to get rid of their mother's mother's attention like some of them would laugh or like cry or throw a fit um whatever and so the psychoanalyst came to the conclusion that this was like they were seeking attention or failed to seek attention out of survival instincts and that's kind of where the whole attachment theory came from the these children acted a certain way because of what their home environment was like so we're gonna go through the four attachment styles and honestly like I think this this time around, basically, I guess because of the books I've been reading, this is the first time in my life where I've really kind of resonated with just one, but I feel like over the years, I've been like, no, that's not me. Like, I feel like I'm, a, I have a secure attachment, and then, like, years later, I'll be like, no, it's, it's anxious, and then, like, an hour ago, I was like, no, it's avoidant, and then the more that I read, I was like, it's, I'm not, I don't have an avoidant attachment style.
1: yeah. So yeah. we
0: really encourage you guys to go take the quiz. If you want, like, pause this episode, take the quiz that we'll link, um, and or maybe just read a little bit more about it if you want. You don't have to. We're going to have a lot of information in this episode and in this series about attachment styles. Um, but if you want to, you can pause this, and you can look up the quiz and take it, and then come back and listen um, yeah. about, you know, just this. If you hear Stephen laughing, I'm so sorry about it. We should just consider him a regular podcast guest. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, just so that you understand the attachments, because basically the way we're going to go through these is kind of talking about how these specific kids acted in the study that was done. And then we're going to kind of go into like what our specific attachment styles are and how we recognize them like in our adulthood. So
1: Yeah. And to tack on to that study, um, because I think you mentioned uh, before we started recording that your your attachment style is pretty much almost set in stone by the time you're two years old. Like by the time you, I mean, at two years old, we still have no control of our own lives. You pretty much have a relationship with your caregivers and that's about it. Um, and I've also read another study that your attachment style starts being predetermined literally the second you're born. Um, you know, how mothers do skin to skin for like two plus hours, I think when a baby is first born and that, um, and, and not all mothers get to have that experience and, um, Uh, I know a friend that did not get to have that experience and it was pretty upsetting for her that she didn't get to do that skin to skin immediately because that can really, I'm honestly shocked at just how big of a deal that is for an infant, for someone who is seconds old, you know, obviously probably none of us remember being one minute old, but that was probably a real scary ass time um, in our lives to go from this warm, cozy environment. You know, we can hear our mother's heartbeat. We feel safe. You know, that's all we've known to having a painful experience. I think babies experience moderate pain in birth as well. Um, they don't know what's going on. They're being forced out of this home they've been living in for nine months. And now there's bright lights. There's people talking there's crying, there's, there's all, you're being handled, you're, you know, people are rubbing up on you, giving you shots, all all kinds of crazy shit, you're like, what the hell's going on? I thought
0: you were gonna say they've been
1: pushed out of a hole. (laughs) You have been squeezed out of a vagina, it's a crazy-ass time to be alive, (laughs) and and having the comfort that skin-to-skin is, you know, the baby, the baby can hear the mother's heartbeat. And it's very comforting to be like, oh, this is my mom. I've been with this person for nine months. This is who she is. Um, And then I think after the mom does skin to skin, I believe the dad does skin to skin. I have never been in this circumstance. So I could, I could be a little wrong on this, but um, attachment styles to your, to your caregivers literally start the second of birth and then And then by two years old, you probably have developed a specific attachment style to no fault of your own. It's just whatever circumstance you have, you have been born into.
0: Exactly. And I don't even know if like, obviously this is something you can be in therapy and talk about in therapy, but I truly like you have to unlearn your attachment style. If it's a negative one, if it's not a secure attachment, like there's no going back. Yeah. You don't get to change your attachment style. You just have to unlearn those behaviors and learn to work around the environment that you grew up in as a kid. Like you literally don't get a fucking choice and it's just not fair.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And when we talk about, um, when we talk about the secure attachment style as well, which is like a more, you know, like a positive one to have, um, there are things that necessary. you're not trying to unlearn, but there are things you have to learn because you didn't have a negative experience. And uh, there are things that can still negatively affect you because you have a secure attachment style. So we'll get into that um, when we talk about that one.
0: So um, we, I, I wanted to put the secure one in the, at the very beginning, just to, I don't, I don't know, just because a lot of people, a lot of people have, you know, less than pleasant attachment styles that do give them a lot of problems but just as many people have secure attachment styles so i don't know i didn't want to like do the negative first yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, but so secure attachment styles so in this study kids with secure attachment responses when their mother would leave the room they'd be a little bit upset but they got over it fast so she'd come back they were happy and receptive towards her they'd go give her a hug they thought nothing of the fact that she'd been gone um, they were not anxious. They weren't angry. They didn't try to punish her. And this signaled to, you know, the people doing the study that, oh, this child has a stable, secure home environment. They're they're allowed to express their feelings. Um, they understand that their mother represents safety and, and security. And this is like the ideal attachment style. Like this is you know, the, the child knows, like, they're, they are dependent on their parent, but they are okay to entertain themselves mm-hmm. without the supervision of their parent. Not to say, like, you know, oh, leave your kid alone, and if yeah. it has a secure attachment style, it'll be fine. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, this is the type of kid that you could drop off at kindergarten for the first time, and they wouldn't be screaming every single day, after like you know because most of the time you drop a kid off at kindergarten or preschool and the first couple days they freak the fuck out and then they're fine (laughs) yeah like that's like I feel like that's a secure attachment like that's very um that's very typical and I know that like this is the one that you identified with so like why don't you like go ahead and talk about
1: yeah I actually um even with that little blurb you just said um so so I do have I took the quiz and I did have the secure attachment style. So particularly on like dropping a kid off, um, I did, I was a little bit upset when my mom would leave. Like I do remember being, um, I remember stories that my mom told me about how I acted when I was dropped off at kindergarten and things like that. Um, I would be sad that she left, um, because I was very attached to my mother. She was a safe Haven for me. Um, but then I would get over it. And I, I liked to socialize with the other kids. And then I was very excited for her to come pick me up. Um, the reason I can actually remember, like, I felt safe no matter where my mom dropped me off because I was so secure in my mother. I had, I, I had full faith. My mother would never drop me off somewhere that was not safe. So I never had a problem with my mom dropping me off because I knew wherever my mom dropped me off, like I was safe there because my mom brought me there, was comfortable leaving me there. So I never, as a child doubted if she was bringing me to a new babysitter I had never met before. Um, kindergarten for the first time, um, dropping me out, you know, putting me in the playground at Chick-fil-A or whatever. Like I, if my mom brought me there, like I knew that was safe. like that to me as a child triggered this is safe um, because your mom brought you here. So that those kinds of things were not an issue. I did like I was very overly attached to her, so I definitely got sad when she left. Um, but then I got over it and I would be very excited for her here. Yeah. Okay, so for secure, like Brooke mentioned, um, securely attached kids um, could be become could be upset when their caregivers leave but you know they get over it, they move on, they're happy when they come back. In adulthood this can uh, become secure adults, show healthy and balanced behavior in relationships. They seek emotional support from their partners and provide that in return. These adults are comfortable being on their own and I I identify with those things. Um, I I believe in the, in the relationships that I've been in, um, that I have exhibited healthy and balanced behavior. I'm not perfect by any means. Um, but I do definitely seek emotional support from somebody that I consider a romantic or intimate partner. I want to be fully open with them. And I want that in return. Like I want them to be fully open with me. I am someone who, like, I, I won't hide anything, like, I will tell, um, in relationship's friends, um, romantic partners, people who I consider that I'm close to, like, I will tell them anything, they're probably like, I, you know, there's probably people who are like, Liz, like, TMI, this is a lot, this is oversharing, and I'll be like, I don't care, bitch, I'm gonna tell you anyway, like, (laughs) like, (laughs) I mean, I saw this, (laughs) ad the other day for an app. Um and it like you can connect with all your friends and like track your poops. <laughs> and I saw somebody reacting to this app and they're like, oh my God, oversharing. Um, and I was like, I would do that. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> and you can track your shit. You can... <laughs> I think it's so fucking hilarious. Like I just almost I don't um, necessarily like to overshare on the internet, like on my Instagram. I don't have Facebook anymore, and I don't have a Twitter. So I guess my only social media platform is my Instagram. So I don't share things going like deep things going on in my life on my Instagram um, because that's that's being projected to people who I don't know, who aren't close to me. Um, but like, if you're a close friend of mine or romantic partner, or like, you know, like my mom, like a parent, like I would tell, I will tell these people anything, (laughs) literally anything. Um, And I kind of, not that I expect the same level of sharing in return, because I also recognize that like, sometimes I probably, to other people, I am way too much of an open book. They're like, whoa, I would never say that out loud. What are you doing? Um, so I don't expect people to maybe share the exact same way that I do, but I, I do have expectations of the people I'm really close with to be open with me, to be honest with me, to, you know, let me in on their emotions to like, let their walls down a little bit around me. Cause like, I do that for them. Um, and, and, and then the last one was these adults are comfortable being on their own. And I would, I would say I am com- I'm very comfortable being on my own. I've always been very independent, but a comment on that specifically is due to the different traumatic events that have happened in my life. Um, when things really hit the fan for me, it's hard for me to be alone. Like when shit hits the fan, I like emotional support. So it's hard for me. It, it can be hard for me to be alone um, if I'm going through something, but like when I am when I am stable, like right now, I consider myself emotionally stable. I'm very confident on my own, being independent, but also, I am an overly independent person, that, is due to trauma, um, because I lost both of my parents so young. I had to. I went from being in high school, living a normal teenage life, to. Um, okay. You now have to learn how to pay bills. You have to learn what bills are. You have to learn what happens when you don't pay bills. You have to, you know, I was kind of, you know, shoved into life, into the deep end. Um, and so I have this trauma response now of I have to be able to only depend on myself because literally if everybody I know were to disappear, I have to be able to survive. Um, so I am comfortable being on my own and independent, but I also recognize that, you know, sometimes I'm a little bit over, I'm very, very independent. And that also comes from, that's a trauma response because I feel like I can't rely on other people sometimes, um, in case of emergencies, if those people are gone, if those people go away, I have to be able to do it on my own. Um, and then there was this last category that tells you like, maybe, how you might be as a parent with this attachment style. Um, or maybe maybe you could relate if you think your parents had this attachment style. So um, and this is from the same website, the attachment, the Um, so secure parents are capable of regulating their emotions, they create a compassionate environment for their child and they view their child as a separate person, but they also empathize with his or her expri- uh, expressions and experiences, and I thought, it, like, I had no idea when I took this quiz what attachment style I was going to get, because in the quiz, you rate, you, you, um, it, it does put, like, mother and father, but it could be, like, like, Brooke took the quiz as father and grandmother, or it could be a guardian, like, you know, you, you adjust it to who was the person that felt like your guardian growing up. Um, so I was rating my mom and my dad and um, my dad failed the quiz. All right. He did. I totally failed was in the, <laughs> I mean, and, and that's just what happened. Um, but my mom uh, ranked, you know, you rank from like one to seven, one being the lowest seven being the highest. My mom was like a six or seven, pretty much on every question. My dad was like a one or a two, maybe a three on some. Um, And so I didn't know if I was going to get a secure attachment because like I, I didn't have the best father figure growing up. Um, But the thing is, is that my dad also wasn't very prominent. Uh, My mom was, was my mother and my father to me. So I think it makes sense that I, I did end up with this secure attachment style because I felt all of those things in her home, which felt like my main home. Um, she was able to regulate her emotions and she was super compassionate and recognized that I was her daughter, but I was also my own person and empathized with me and was there for me and things like that. Um, and something I wanted to mention So, you know, all of this seems like great and dandy. And this is probably, I mean, this is the healthiest attachment style to have. Um, But what I have experienced, the the negative that I've experienced having a secure attachment style is um, I picked up when I was taking the quiz because some of the questions were, do you feel like you can depend on a romantic slash intimate partner? And my answer is yes. When I Choose somebody, and they have chosen me to be romantic partners. That is someone I can depend on. I would never ever get into a relationship uh, romantically with someone I think I can't depend on. That's super important to me. And there were questions like, "Do you feel you can be open with this person, or with someone who you choose to be your romantic partner?" Absolutely. I I, I could never choose someone to be a romantic partner that I felt I can be open with. Um and then one more example was like do you ever worry that you like this person like much more than they like you back and and those are just things that never cross my mind um because i have a secure attachment style but where that has bit me in the ass is i have let people in and i have been too trusting of people so i i put dependency on people who I thought I could depend on. And it turns out I could not depend on them. I opened up to somebody who I thought I could open up to. And then it turns out, um, you know, this person just ended up using my emotions against me and gaslighting me with the information I told them. Um, so that I would say, at least from my own experiences, that's the negative side of the secure attachment style is, is if you get in a relationship, and I, I guess I am directing this specifically towards romantic relationships, but it could also be applied to friendships and things like that, is I, I gave my trust and all of my secure attachments to si- styles blah, to somebody else who uh, ended up taking that and walking all over me with them because I trusted them so much. I thought I could depend on them. I thought I could tell them X, Y, and Z. Um, and that ended up to, uh, that ended up in a negative situation, but I still, you know, even though that happened, maybe this is because I have a secure attachment style. I don't have problems opening up to people. So I, I like, I looked at this, you know, whatever relationship that happened with I can see what went wrong. I can see, okay, this person has some things to work on. I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means, Um, but I I can see where things went wrong. I can see red flags now that I'm out of it, Uh, looking back on things, which will hopefully give you the knowledge to not make the same mistakes in the future. But I still have no problem opening up to people. Um, I still have no problem giving my trust to people. But I do know that, like, I need to, I can't, I can't just trust anybody who, uh, who makes me feel loved necessarily when it comes to romantic partners.
0: It's so crazy to me to hear you say, like, you've never had, the, had a thought of, like, do they like me back? Like, I don't know anyone. I, like, I've all, like, I, I think like that. I think, like, what if they don't like me? Like, I panic. And I think that, like, you know, I'm not enough, or like I just my mind immediately, you know, upon meeting not like a not like in friendships. I've always been like pretty confident about the way I come off to new people when it's just yeah. like, you know, meeting another girl or something. But like definitely in relationships, I've always think the exact opposite of you. Like, what if they decide they don't want me
1: anymore? And I just thought it, that was normal. I didn't know that people didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I, you know, when I have, and I don't know if this is things that probably my mother said to me, I remember being told as a kid, you know, this is going to sound so like what the boomers, uh, hate on millennials for, but like, you are so special. You have so much to offer. You have, you are so talented. You have so much love to give. You are worthy. You know, I was you know, she told me, you can do whatever you want. Um, And I was programmed with, you know, um, with those, with those positive things. So when I get into a relationship with somebody, I'm, I'm, I'm not concerned about, does this person love me back as much as I do? But that's me putting a lot of trust into somebody. That's so much trust to give. And, and sometimes, sometimes that person might, you know, not love me, even though I'm not consider even though I'm not thinking about it, that person might not love me back as much as I love them. And then I'm putting all this trust into something that I I should be questioning a little bit, or I shouldn't put so much trust into. Um, so it's almost, I, I think the biggest kick in the butt that this secure attachment style can have is You can just be so overly trusting, and you give your trust to people sometimes who don't deserve it.
0: Yeah, and that just goes to show that like not it doesn't matter what kind of attachment style you've got. Like there's a positive and a negative to everything almost. Um, And you, I mean, I don't know the positives to like the other ones honestly. Maybe we'll like uncover those in this episode. Yeah, but I feel like there's probably I mean there's pros and cons to everybody's childhood. There's pros and cons to the way everybody was raised um you know but I mean
1: yeah I think I mean even with um so whichever one of these maybe it's anxious maybe it is anxious when we get there like if you don't put if you don't give a lot of trust to somebody so that can be a negative but also like you're guarding yourself and you might save yourself from situations because you're so guarded on things that you know for me with relationships, I used to just wear rose colored glasses and it was very difficult for me to see red flags in people because I put so much trust like, oh no, that person would never do that because I would never do that. Mm -hmm. But that is not the case. (laughs) I can't apply, oh, I would never do that does not mean that somebody else would never do that. Um, so yeah, I'm sure there. are you know, like you said, everything has positive and negatives and, um, it'll be interesting going through this list. And because I, I think the secure one is probably the most, um, it's the healthiest one to have, but still, you know, everything in life can bite you in the ass a little. I
0: also agree with the whole, like, I do the same thing where I'm like, oh my God, like they would never do that to me. Cause I wouldn't do that to them. Um, especially with, like friendships and stuff. Like I, I can't tell you how many fucking times, some shit has happened and like one of my other friends called it and was like, I told you that person was a shitty friend. I told you that person was, didn't have your best interests at heart. And I'm just like, you couldn't have paid me to think that they would do this. And that's where this type of stuff gets muddled, I think, and where people can sort of relate to multiple attachment styles because you don't always treat, or you don't always like interact with your friends the same way that you interact with a romantic partner yeah um, I mean I like I said like I don't I don't assume like um, like when I met you I was never like oh my god what if she doesn't like me I was like mm-hmm. no like we get along great this is great this is fine yeah but like with you know romantic relationships in the past it's totally different Um. so I mean I, I don't know like
1: yeah you could totally have one attachment style towards friends and family and another towards like romantic intimate relationships for sure
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that, too, also is, like, the kids you grew up around, what kind of friendship you you had when you were a kid, um, Mm -hmm. that teach, I mean, that teaches you how to be a friend, that teaches you how to not be a friend, so
1: I'm sure- If you grew up with parents, um, what, you know, were they married, were they not married, did they get along, did they not get along, was there fighting, Uh, or did you have a guardian that, like, you know, uh, did you trust the guardian, did you not trust the guardian- and um yeah there's a whole there's a whole lot of things that uh a big old melting pot that just fucks everybody up
0: <laughs> the next Shit. one we're going to look at is anxious resistant and this is the one that um the uh website calls preoccupied so if you or they call they call it anxious preoccupied so these kids in the study they got stressed as fuck Every single time, their, uh, uh, whenever their mom would leave, they were so dependent and so clingy on her that when she returned, not only would they not calm down, they would punish the mother and wouldn't hug, like if the mother was like, come here, let me hug you or like, like whatever, they, they turned their back, they shoved her away, they were nasty, they were mean they wouldn't look at her like at all. And it, that stems from a fear of like, I don't even wanna give her this affection because she's just gonna leave me again. What if she leaves me again? Um, and so uh, the attachment project says that children with an anxious preoccupied attachment tend to be sensitive and responsive to others needs often at their own expense. They experience distress when their parents leave and it's very difficult to soothe them even when the parents return. Um, And so this is the one that I resonate with the most. I kind of think I'm a mixture of like secure from my grandma and my dad and then anxious preoccupied from my biological mom. Um, Anxious preoccupied attachment can cause anxiety disorders and attention deficit disorders in adulthood and adults with this attachment style tend to be self-critical and seek validation from others. So I at first when we were doing this quiz I thought that I was going to be avoidant because the avoidant children were I mean they didn't give a fuck they didn't give a shit if whether their mom came or went um which is a sign of like not really being taught in the home that it's okay to show your feelings express emotions but we'll get to that that one in a second but the reason that we kind of I mean when I took the quiz I got preoccupied um, and I'm, I'm not really sure why. I know that I'm a very anxious adult and I know that as a kid, I mean, I've bitten my nails since kindergarten. And I literally have ch- bitten my nails down to the quick, not the quick. I'm not a cat. Damn. The <laughs> cuticle. I said the quick, whatever. I'm going to keep saying it. I've bitten my nails down to the quick because I'm a cat since kindergarten. And I apparently like, I mean, I was my grandma would leave me, apparently, at kin- like at kindergarten, whatever, um, and she told me that that was the first time she ever saw me put my fingers in my mouth. I didn't do it up until I was six years old, um, but I, I feel like that part of me, I blame, like, I really do blame that on, like, not having my biological mom. I never knew when I was gonna see her. If I was gonna see her, I went for months at a time never hearing from her never getting a phone call but the second that i saw her um i was i was angry but also at the same time i wanted to hug her because i was like i haven't seen her in so long but i also want to punish her because she hasn't paid attention to me in so long yeah um, and i mean that's like anxious resistant like you're anxious because you're like when am i going to see them when are they coming back And then they come back and it's like that fight or flight dies down a little bit, but then you're like resistant to give them any kind of affection. Um, And the, um, you know, if your parent had this kind of attachment style as a kid and they raised you like the attachment project defines anxious, preoccupied attachments for parents as anxious parents tend to over involve their child into their own feelings and emotional needs They often struggle with multitasking around their child. So I kind of wonder if that means like anxious parents maybe talk too much to their kids about their marriage. Like maybe talk like too much to their child about like what their dad does or like what their mom has been doing. that has been pissing them off. That's not like, or like
1: like finances. Like if you're not doing well financially, obviously a kid can't, a child, a five-year-old, cannot do anything about how much money you're making and if you're going to lose your home and that puts a lot of stress on a child that like they literally have no control over Um, and yeah relationships and and involving them in a lot of their emotions that just they have zero control over
0: yeah like they just involve you in too much shit that doesn't have anything to do with you Mm -hmm. Uh, or
1: You know, even you weren't a child at this point anymore, but like times when you would talk to your mom and, and have just these awful conversations, um, and she was projecting her feelings onto you. She does that. She did that into your adulthood.
0: Yeah. Like I have, I have friends now who their mom only calls them to complain about something that, they, that she didn't really do it when they were kids but like now that they're older it's like oh now you understand that what what money is now you understand how annoying a job can be now you understand how annoying men are let me call you and bitch about my job and bitch about your brothers and sisters and bitch about your dad whatever like mm-hmm. it's not it's not appropriate and I mean like I love the idea of like your mom being your best friend but like if your mom is truly your best friend, then she has your best interests at heart, and that does not involve unloading on you as her child. Yeah, it's not that fair. Is,
1: and that can I can only imagine how hard that would be, um, to, to a parent. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess I just think of my mom and all of the things that she could have bitched about around me. She had the she had a, a list miles long of shit she could have bitched about being a single mom being a teacher you know finances were hard my dad alone she probably had a whole list of things she could have bitched about she never bitched about shit like that around me um and when I got older she did like let me in a little bit on stuff but it still wasn't even serious like stuff um you know it was she managed her emotions around me and like, I felt like she was like a rock. She was solid. Something that, although like she never cried around me. Like, I think the first time I saw her cry was when I was like 16. Um, and for, but I, I can only imagine how hard that would be. She just felt like she probably, she had no one to cry around. She was around us constantly. She was either working or at home with us and no one, how much I cry. <laughs> she was a cancer too. She probably cried in secret. And like, that almost like hurts me. But, uh, you know, I felt like my mom was like, just warrior woman, like nothing could break her. She was the strongest person I knew. Um, But for a parent, I can only imagine how hard it is to manage emotions around kids. But like, I know that she did that to benefit me. And it did like, she did manage her emotions around me. But, you know, I just for any single moms out there I can only imagine how fucking hard that is or single dads
0: yeah like and or even people who just work with kids for a living I mean god just like the idea of just having to keep it in because you don't want to scare them um you don't want to make them feel like burdened to comfort you because they're so little or Mm -hmm. like you know they just not even well I I don't know it just like puts a lot of worry on a kid to see their parents cry about money or like anything like that and that's like not to say that if you've ever cried in front of your kid that you're like a bad parent or something Oh no yeah not at all it's more like we're talking about people who just like hound their kids with like their stressful shit day in and day out and just create a sense of like panic um I will say My grandma, I love her so much, but there are so many things that I've had to unlearn, like, yeah, like annoying habits I've had to unlearn that I learned from her and her anxiousness, like driving on the interstate. I didn't learn how to do that until I was uh, 21 years old because she was so, it stressed her out so bad that she never taught me how to do it and the only inter, like the only experience i had was once um during driver's ed when i was thrown onto the interstate without warning my driving instructor didn't tell me didn't warn me she just said okay go up this she said road but it was a fucking entrance ramp and th- besides that like being in the passenger seat of someone else driving on the interstate like that was all the experience like me. i had exactly and i literally Bearing the fuck out of you <laughs> I was so- I was so scared, and I had yeah. Stephen taught me how to drive on the interstate, but like I mean that's one of the things that I feel like if had my grandma kept her feelings about the interstate to herself, I wouldn't have been so scared
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that's just yeah. like a very a very tiny example uh out of the many millions of things that your parents probably stressed you the fuck out about in their personal lives, and now you adopted that as your own stress,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, hundred percent.
0: Um, the third one is the avoidant attachment style. So, this one I find the most interesting, to be honest. Um, with these children in the study, when the mother left, they didn't give a shit. Um, they were, did not appear to care or notice that she'd even left. And when she came back, some of them actually even hid from the mothers. They didn't want comfort, they avoided her entirely. And This is typically the result of a connection or lack of one where the parent leaves the child often to figure things out for themselves. So this could be the result of abuse, neglect, Um, maybe, you know, it was a single mom and she left all the time to go work a job and she didn't have anyone to take care of the child. So they were just left on their own, which is illegal. Um, By the way, it's, it's very sad that I feel like a lot of moms, actually, a lot of single mothers, have been put in this place or this this role not role this position where they can't get any child care but they've still got to pay the bills so they leave their child at home by themselves and just hope to god the neighbors don't call or find out or anything like that but um these these kids don't get support so they don't seek support they Mm -hmm. don't no one's really around to teach them how to process happiness and anger and frustration and sadness in, like, a healthy way.
1: This is almost, like, my trauma response to being independent. Like, I feel like I have to be able to only depend on myself because if everybody who I depend on were to disappear, I have to be able to do it on my own. But in a kid, like, I wasn't like that as a child. I became that way as an adult, but I can just having to feel like that it's so stressful just the weight of the world being on you but as a child where you don't know anything yet that would be so stressful so scary but also like as a child your your mind in order to cope with things will block things out so you see you see it like this where you know they're just they're not interested if parents come and go from picking you up and then when they come back the kid's like no I'm still here I'm playing with my friends uh go away like so it it comes off like that but like on the inside these kids might feel like like I'm fending for myself you know that's the that's very interesting and it's also like uh it's it's that's a lot for a little for a child to feel like they have to be independent on their own
0: yeah. And it's also like the the type of parents that raise their children, that the kids end up having this type of um s- attachment style. Like these are the parents that are like, stop crying. Like you got to pull, what, what was that thing you said? Pull it up by the bootstraps or pull something? Pull you up by your
1: bootstraps, kids.
0: Like they expect the kid to be extremely independent and just tough it out and suck it up and they can be very dismissive of emotions and feelings to the point where the kid just doesn't even bother the child doesn't even like they if they feel an emotion they're just like this doesn't matter or it's not valid because the one person who's supposed to care really doesn't um and a lot of times these people end up a violent like they end up extremely angry maybe they don't have a lot of friends in adulthood maybe they're anti-social they just don't know how to connect
1: Mm -hmm. Um, because they just not knowing how to manage any emotion, happiness, sadness, anger, joy. Um, and that, that can, that affects your social life. Cause yeah, you don't, when you're angry, you don't know how to release it and things just get bottled up inside of you until you just burst one day. Or, you know, when something's, when something makes you super happy, you're almost like, am I allowed to feel this way? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I show that? Um, yeah. Yeah.
0: Or they might like, people like this like don't know how to that like they might be the kinds that are like I hate hugs like hugs physically make them ill Mm -hmm. they they don't want to be squeezed they don't want to be touched like I mean I feel like almost everybody has like a couple friends who are very weird about hugs or being touched or like they're not super affectionate with their partners and like that's fine but also at the same time I there's a reason that that phrase said like were you not hugged as a child (laughs) Like, there's a reason that exists, because, like, by nature, most human beings like to be comforted and feel safe. And it's just, like, a very stark difference between, like, someone who's like, I'm sad, I want a hug, and someone who's like, I'm sad, I'm going to show it by being aggressive, or I'm going to show it by completely shutting down and not speaking about it and just letting it Mm -hmm up until eventually, I don't know not to get you know uh what's the fucking word whatever, not to get crazy up in here, but like look at the amount of shootings that have taken place. do you think those children were were hugged do you think they grew up with a healthy attachment style? no, yeah,
1: oh yeah, yeah they definitely that would be interesting to know you know just the the people who uh in the United States have, not, not to attach, um, like, mass shootings with one single attachment style, but it would definitely be interesting to know what, you know, how, like, there's a list of, um, serial killers and there's zodiac signs. We all know the top three serial killers, okay? We know you Virgos, Geminis, and Pisces. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> those are just, but I'm sure, the same with attachment styles with, with people who commit heinous, unthinkable crimes, it would be interesting to know what their attachment style is. Um, And things, you know, things like this, like being avoidant, it's a trauma response to not let people in because you don't want to get let down. And, and sometimes that can be I mean, that is your body being in fight or flight. That's what you, that's what you did as a child. So it translated into adulthood. Um, as, so like for adults, the development of avoidant attachment styles early on in life often causes antisocial behavior. Um, okay, yeah, and like you said, can be dismissive and become violent. Um, with, with parents, whether this is how you are as a parent or how your parents were towards you, avoidant parents tend to disregard their, their child's needs, um, they can be really strict, really controlling, they don't tolerate any strong emotion, um, and, you know, I, I still can see in this positives, like, I mean, not that it's, it's not always going to be a positive, but if this is your attachment style, you are not going to let anybody in who is treating you wrong. You also might not be letting people in who treat you right. Um, but it's, it's a coping mechanism to protect yourself and keep yourself safe because that's what you had to do as a child.
0: Yeah. And when you, when you said that, you might not be letting anyone in who could treat you wrong, but you also might not be letting like the right people on either. It made me think of, um, this uh i mean you know who this is because i've told you the story i'm not going to name the person but this person that i kind of kind of dated not really in college um but he had a very rough childhood that i only really found out the worst parts about after we were no longer friends um and he, i i'm thinking about it now i feel like he had a very avoidant attachment style because um the second I showed this person any kind of affection. He was super uncomfortable, but he like still wanted affection. He, I don't feel like he just didn't know how to ask for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like later that I found out that like his mom would leave him, um, and go off wherever she like, I don't know where she was for a period, but he had to live with like one of her boyfriends and like he, like, made him eat food off the floor and was super abusive and just,
1: oh, God,
0: you know, he would, if he would cry, he'd get in trouble. And it just, like, I mean, once I found that out so much, like, once I learned more about his childhood, so much about our friendship or relationship, like, made, made more sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. Like, he he was never... It was, like, he was super funny, and it was so easy to, like, hang out with him, but the second things got serious, it was just, like, out the door, like, can't handle this, I don't, I don't like to talk about feelings, I don't want to, I'm not, like, or I don't want to express anything that isn't extreme, because people with avoidant personality, not avoidant personalities, avoidant attachment styles they can also I feel like be only willing to show one emotion or the other like they can only be willing to show tons of happiness but the second things get serious or the second they're confronted they can't handle it or they could be super fucking mean and angry and hostile and the second someone tries to come to them with like love and affection they're like ew fuck no and they leave
1: yeah you know that that reminds me I wonder I wonder if attachment styles have anything to do with what becomes your love language. I bet they do. Because, you know, there's, there's, uh, maybe someone who has an avoidant attachment style that was developed at an early age. Um, I would assume physical touch like might not be their love language. Mm -hmm. Maybe their love language is acts of service. Maybe they'd rather, instead of you know, if if their parent wasn't around, instead of someone hugging, you know, hugging up all on them and being super touchy to show them that they love them, maybe this type of person wants you to make them dinner or show up to their piano recital, or you know, just show up and do something because their parent didn't do that. So it would it would also be very interesting to know. And obviously if you are, an, if you have an avoidant attachment style, I'm not saying that you can't, that, uh, physical touch is not your love language, but it would just be interesting to know, um, what percentage of secure, anxious, avoidant, um, and then the last one that we're about to get into, like what percentage of people have what love languages and if there's like any kind of a pattern there, because I'm sure they don't necessarily, um, they're not going to be the only thing that they're definitely not going to be the only thing that creates your love language, but I'm sure it definitely has, it plays a part.
0: I agree. I definitely think that there's got to be some type of link to it because I mean, Uh, the your love language and the way that you treat other people in relationships romantic relationships I mean the first one you ever saw was probably with your parents Mm
1: -hmm.
0: probably you know if your parents were split up like that's the first thing first idea you had of like what romantic love was so I definitely think that I don't know that'd be interesting we should look that up one day and
1: I I personally think that everybody so I think I think most people identify a little bit with each love language. Um, but then there's like, you know, like a prominent one, but I think for a lot of people also there's like how you like to receive love and then also how you like to give love because how I like to receive love is not how I like to receive love and how I like to give love are two different love languages. And then you've got the other person and they have their own receiving and giving, um, that you have to, you know, incorporate and think about and uh yeah that would be interesting to know
0: Love languages i feel like there's already so many episodes on them but i mean one day we'll probably end up doing one probably (laughs) let's be real (laughs) um the last attachment style is disorganized and disoriented so this is the most rare one Um, because there's no predictable pattern of response. So some of these kids, when their moms would leave, they'd be really stressed out. And then other times they'd be more avoidant and they really just didn't care. They were like, eh, whatever. Like they, her presence was just irrelevant. Um, And this, this kind of thing, again, this is also associated with childhood neglect or abuse. And, you know, if you, if this is the type of attachment style that you resonate with the most there's a chance that you've probably lived in like a very unpredictable environment so you aren't for or maybe for a long time you weren't sure what safety was how to create it um, what types of people and places represented safety and security and i don't know for this this one kind of makes me think maybe Um, those who were like in foster care or had to live with their grandparents for a short period of time, or like lived with their parent, their biological parents, off and on throughout their childhood, might have one like this because they never had a true home base, like they were being switched off, and yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah, their life was disorganized, yeah, there was no constant, uh, there was, you know, that's something. That I think is really huge for kids is having a place that's home, and that's something that I struggled with in adulthood. After I lost both my parents, I lost the two homes that I had ever been in, Um, and even though you know my my life was disorganized, but but I had two homes. Like these two places were my one of them I considered my home for sure. Um, The other one was just a place I went to all the time, and I never unpacked my suitcase when I went over. But like when I had to leave that home, um, I felt very disoriented because I was, you know, to me, I was like, I have no home to go to, Um, and that was my that was my inner child coming out. And I I learned as an adult um, that home is wherever I am. Home, I am home. So wherever I choose to be and plant myself is my home. But like when I was still working through trauma, I didn't feel like I had a home. Even when I had my own apartment, I was like, well, well, where would I, you know, when people say they're going home for Thanksgiving, like, where am I going? Cause I can't go back home. Um, and that's, that's, uh, that can really, uh, hurt a child to, I mean, I only know how awful it was as an adult to feel like I didn't have a home. And I can only imagine that feeling as a child.
0: Like not knowing who's going to take care of you and not also not even understanding that you
1: shouldn't even have to worry about that. Right. That literally shouldn't be your job. <laughs> like you literally should not, you be your should job. not have to worry about that at all as a child. We were watching
0: shameless the other night, and this is going to be the last season of shameless. Um, but so spoilers for anybody who's watching tune out the next like 30 seconds there's a part where you know everyone's like moving on in their lives and like they're thinking about selling the family house and um i don't know if you've ever watched shameless but basically like it's a show about like an alcoholic father um and an absent mother and these kids all raise each other like they all take care of each other um they live on the south side of chicago and like in they're pretty poor and i mean it's it's such a good show i'm so sad it's ending But the youngest child, when everyone's moving, um, he's, he's like, oh my, like, I've got to find someplace else to live because all my siblings are leaving and his, like everyone else is like in their late teens, early to mid twenties, all the siblings. And he's over here like 10 or 12 years old. And it never once does he think like a parent should be, reaching out to get me right now or telling me like okay you don't even have to worry about it but he's like that he's never had even though like his siblings were his home base never had a fucking parent figure never had a absolutely like who signs this this permission slip at school you know and i i don't i don't know that that just hit me because i was like he literally was searching for a place to live a 12 year old kid and when his older sibling like realized what he was doing, he was like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to live with me, dummy. Like, obviously. Yeah. Like, th- I mean, he didn't know because he's he's never he had never known um, a, a life where, oh, you need to live with someone pick mom or dad. Oh, you need someone to sign a, a school like field trip form mom or dad. Like, never had that. It was always which sibling is available? Who's the oldest who can sign? Who can forge mom or dad's signature? It fucked me up. I don't know. I feel like...
1: That reminds me of this the scene in Harry Potter oh. where they're all going on a field trip and he's not allowed to go because he didn't have a parent to sign his permission slip. And that really fucking hits home for me. Like, and Professor McGonagall is just like, I'm sorry about that. Like... <laughs> you have to stay here. That like, is such a sad why scene.
0: Why the hell didn't she just sign it? They knew his struggle.
1: Obviously they knew his, he didn't have parents. Come on, McGonagall, shit.
0: Like, and then they, they knew the fucking Dursleys weren't gonna sign that permission slip. Yeah. Like. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that scene yeah. made me so sad and so angry because I was like, he doesn't get to go on the fucking field trip and you know his situation. <laughs> yeah, he didn't get to go into, what was it,
0: Hogsmeade? yeah I think so made me mad but at least you know what at least that boy got his little invisibility cloak on you can tell how much we've watched those movies I know them fucking movies like the back of my hand yes (laughs) I have no shame I will watch them I watch them nonstop. I
1: will watch those till the day I die yes
0: and I'm gonna make my kids watch it and they're gonna probably have trauma from it and be like my mommy used to make me watch the Harry Potter movies on repeat from Thanksgiving all the way through New Year's (laughs) Damn right I did. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit. Anyways, um, so basically in this series, what we're going to be talking about is not only these attachment styles, but how they link into um, different types of inner child archetypes, um, inner child wounds, the way that we can heal our inner child based off of a wound based off of what our archetype might be and based off of what our attachment style what which attachment styles we resonate with the most and honestly like there is not if i mean if you have a an inner child wound which honestly i think everybody does to some extent some a little bit less than others but almost everyone has one you don't get out of parenthood without wounding your kid a tiny bit in some way whether it's you know like you and I like our parents died it was involuntary we don't hold that against them but it's still a wound um regardless of like what kind of wound you have there's a huge chance that that wound is going to be activated in some way by the person that you have a romantic relationship with um it's a very sensitive thing like it's super You don't think about it until maybe like years down the road, maybe when you're not even with that person anymore, but it is truly fascinating the way that you interact with someone on a romantic level based off of what you did or didn't receive as a kid.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: 100%. Like sometimes I sit and I just think like what I have even gotten in my first serious relationship had my dad still been around... I don't think I would have I'd th- I feel like if my dad had still been alive one I wouldn't have gotten away with sneaking off first of all that never would have happened and two I just feel like I don't know I just feel like my dad could he he would be able to just tell like that I was not in a in a good spot and like that I wasn't happy yeah um, you know like there's just certain things that your parent just can sense it's like they yeah. can smell it on you or some shit <laughs> yeah.
1: i wonder all the time what what my life would be like if um if both my parents were still around and even if just my mom was still around when it comes to relationships like what what would i what would have happened to me relationship wise because my mom was somebody who did not hide her opinion of the boys i brought home at all And if somebody started treating me wrong, um, she would have like, she would have kicked some ass for me. Like she would have, and she would have, she would have put down a foot for me 100% if she saw something that she wasn't, she was like, this is not okay. Um, I, not only just relationships, like, I wonder what my whole life, like, I guarantee you, I wouldn't be living in Denver if my mom was still here. And so there's things that I'm like, sometimes I wonder this is like definitely a little, a little like uh, going down a rabbit hole that I'm not gonna go too far down. But do you ever wonder if there's like other universes out there, where, where you have all these different life things happening? Like, is there another universe out there where both my parents are still alive? And like, what is that life like? And is there a universe where just my mom is alive or just my dad is alive? And like, what is that Liz's life like? And and then it makes me think about, you know. The things that I don't like that happen to me in this, in this dimension, in this universe, but also the things I'm really proud of, the things I'm really happy that I have achieved. And I don't know, that's something that that I can literally, uh, think about for hours and hours. And it's usually when I'm trying to fucking go to bed. Um, those are the kind of thoughts that come into my mind. What are all the different universes of Liz doing right now? What is her life like? (laughs) Um, but I definitely think about that for sure when it comes to relationships It's just, you know, if it were, if it were this way, if this hadn't happened or if this had happened, like, like what type of person would I have been like and how would have that have just affected my relationships in life?
0: Sometimes I think whenever you're faced with like a really big decision and you have like two or three options, Even just considering the other two options that you don't end up picking, I feel like it causes some type of like energetic, like butterfly effect. And on some plane, you create that actual reality. It's not in this one, but it's out there. Like, I don't know, say that, you know, before you moved to Denver, you were thinking like, what if I don't move to Denver? What if I just stay in, what if me and what if I stay in in Harrisonburg with Brooke and we both end up i don't know i don't have any idea what it would have been like but i feel like on some plane like that actually exists in some aspect and um i don't know i'm trying to think of like something else where (laughs) hold on what just happened
1: my brother just opened the door and threw chocolate at me (laughs) Did you see something fly across the screen? I did. I did.
0: <laughs> I saw you try to catch it.
1: I missed. <laughs> oh, yeah, why? No, it would just be so weird. It's I think about all the time because I was so attached to my mom. I would have never moved across country. I think I would have moved because I hated the town that I was in. But I I would have still moved. I wouldn't have moved to Denver. Maybe I would have moved somewhere else in Virginia, maybe somewhere else on the East coast, but like, like she was my best friend. Like I wouldn't have moved so far away from her that I couldn't like drive to her in a day, you know? Um, and so like where would I, I would be living somewhere totally different. I would have a different job. I would have different relationships. I would know different people. Like I would be a whole different person and it's just, it's, it's very crazy to start trying to imagine, and it's not something I, like, dwell on all the time because, you know, that's a lot of energy and emotions to put into something that's not happening to you, but it's very interesting to me. It's just interesting. Mm-hmm. It, Yeah. I'm just, it, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so interested in that kind of stuff, but I am.
0: <laughs> Probably because you like the idea of, like, there are the possibility just like it exists out there somewhere like nothing the idea of a different life never ended for you like it's somewhere out there it exists maybe next time around you'll be born into that that reality where like you know your mom's still here like I like to think that I don't know oh my god now I'm getting down the rabbit hole I was just gonna say like sometimes I like to think of like maybe in our next lives when we're reborn We're reborn into this life, but, like, certain events do or don't happen.
1: Yeah. And sometimes, like, it's really hard for me to, because I, it's just, that's not how this lifetime played out, but sometimes, because I'm not necessarily somebody who believes that all things happen for a reason. I think some things happen for a reason. Um, I don't think everything happens for a reason, and that's because I don't, to me, I just don't have the answer. And it's very morbid for me to think that my mom died for a reason. Like, that's a morbid thought. I don't like thinking that she died for me to learn a lesson. Like, I'm, I would be, ang- you know, that makes me angry. Um, to think that her, she was taken away all because I had to learn some type of lesson in this lifetime. Now, is that the case? Like, maybe, and maybe it's a morbid fact. I don't, but I'm never going to know. Um, but something that's also kind of. Uh, not a morbid thought, but just like has pros and cons is if my mom was still here, I, and I don't think I would be as strong as I am today. Like, I don't think I would, I think I would probably still put up with uh, men walking all over me because I allowed that. I let, I, you know, not that, not that I let that happen to me. They did that to me, but I wasn't strong enough to see that it wasn't okay and that I needed to kick them out of my life. I, but maybe not, like maybe I would have learned that lesson still, but sometimes it's hard for me to think if my, I know that I am the strong person I am today because of the shit that I've gone through and losing her. And there would be so many positives of still having her, but sometimes I would think, but would having her mean that I wouldn't be the person I am today and I like who I am today? But obviously, that's a question I will never be able to answer. So I don't think about that too much because that's like a negative thing. It's like, to me, it's like thinking having her would mean that I wouldn't be me. But I would, I would be me if she was still here. I would be me. I would just be a different version of me. Um, but yeah, it's it's a whole black hole of thoughts <laughs> to, to start thinking about that kind of stuff.
0: If you like stuff like that, you should definitely watch The Butterfly Effect. I've heard of that. Um, the movie's so good. It has Ashton Kutcher in it. So oh, right him. there, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. um, I still think he's so cute, but uh yeah that movie's all it's all about alternate realities and um his dad actually dies uh when he's like a young kid i think so it was just a bunch of it was a bunch of shit also there's a netflix tv show called dark um if you are interested in like time travel or alternate realities or things happening on like a like a linear linear plane scale whatever That's another one. Just make sure if you watch it, I'm sorry, but you definitely should watch it with the the English subtitles and watch it in German because when it's in English, it just like doesn't translate as well. And also the people's lips aren't synced up. If you, if you listen to it, like with English voices, just kind of
1: weird to watch it that way.
0: Yeah. Just suck it up and read the damn subtitles. (laughs) I like subtitles on for everything. I'm one of those people.
1: Yeah, um, it's real. I'm not gonna lie, it's really hard for me to watch things with subtitles. I don't know if it's because I'm really bad at multitasking, but I end up focusing so much on the subtitles that I feel like I'm not even watching what's on the screen.
0: I wonder sometimes when I am watching something how much I'm watching and how much I'm reading, but I try not to think
1: about it too much because then I'm like, am I I missing? I feel like I'm one, I feel like I'm only reading and I'm like not even watching. So it's it's, diff- it's difficult for me to watch things with subtitles because I get so focused on keeping up with the text on the screen that it's almost like when I'm hiking. So when I'm hiking, sometimes I, I feel like I'm not even enjoying the scenery around me because I'm, fo- I'm so focused at looking at the ground to make sure I don't trip on rocks. Oh, that's a very good analogy. And, it, and I almost like, I look up sometimes, I'm like, oh shit, I'm hiking. Look how beautiful it is. But the whole time I'm looking down because like I'm going to fucking trip on something. And that's how it feels for me to read subtitles.
0: I feel like I'm pretty good at it because I'm a really fast reader. So I just, like, scan it really quick and then I go back to looking at the screen. But, I mean, not everybody. It's not for everybody, but... It's
1: It's still, um, I definitely have to, like, be in the mood. I can do it, but I have to be in the mood. If I, like, want to turn off my brain for the night and watch a movie, I cannot do something where I have to read subtitles definitely have to be in the mood for that
0: (laughs) oh man well i mean
1: oh to wrap this up do we want to mention the full moon oh yeah go go ahead get up on your soapbox okay so we're recording this on saturday the 27th of march 2021 um by the time this is out this full moon will have already happened but on the 28th tomorrow Sunday, uh, there is a full moon happening that's kind of supposed to be a big deal. Um, It's the full moon in Libra, also known as a super moon, a pink moon, the worm moon. And so pretty today, this is the last day that we are in quote unquote 2020 energy. Um, The last time this happened was in March 2020. And, uh, the world went to hell in a handbasket and a lot of people are just, I think, really just trying to manifest, I guess I put, I shouldn't say trying to manifest. A lot of people are manifesting that this full moon is just going to be a time of change, some fresh air and, and bringing balance back to our lives. Um, so with so Libra is primarily a peace loving sign and obviously this whole past year did not feel like a peace loving year the 2021 Libra full moon arrives it's directly opposite of Venus which is very harmonizing um but also opposite of the wounded healer Chiron both in Aries so the sign of the warrior. and this article that I found had mentioned, you know, don't be surprised if long-standing issues rise to the surface starting this weekend. The trick is to lead with love and remember that at the end of the day, you're sitting on the same side of the table and you can create compromises and just knowing that everyone can have everybody's best interests in mind. It's about people coming together. Saturn will be uh, in trine this full moon. So hopefully people feeling like, quote unquote, we can all adult together. We can be, we can be calm. We can understand each other. We can talk, we can have communication, you know, just even when anxieties come up, feelings are hurt, we can come together. Um, and, And this is just a time of trying to feel like we're putting balance back in our life because this whole past year has felt anything but balanced and and creating our new normal because i think what a lot of us are realizing i know this whole past year a lot of people have said you've probably heard it you might have said it i want to go back to normal i want to go back to normal and we know that normal's not going to happen anymore but also like, like the way it was before the pandemic. But I, we don't want that anyway. We, as a society, as a human race, made so much progress during this whole time, realizing that our relationships are so important with our friends and our family and our loved ones and, and bringing to light social injustices and, you know, just so many things that we learned we didn't care about, <laughs> you know, I don't give a shit about when I when I have to go back to work And then probably in the next few months, I don't give a shit about looking super cute if I'm uncomfortable. I've been working for a year in my damn sweats and it has made work so much better. I don't have to worry about my appearance and... Not that I'm going to go back to the office in sweats, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to update my wardrobe so that I look business casual, but that I'm comfortable because my comfort's important. My relationships are important. Communication is important. And it's just about finding our new balance, our new normal, and not, not going backwards because old normal would be taking steps backwards. And hopefully everybody feels that energy. I have felt personally, I really do feel like I have felt an energy shift the past couple of days myself. And it's very positive. I feel, I feel very full of energy. I feel happy. I feel confused because I'm like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) It's a weird time because we're also probably experiencing a little bit of PTSD of remembering when the world shut down last year. So it's kind of a weird time right now. Um, but hopefully this full moon, brings peace the peace and balance to the world that we're all looking for and uh so yeah let us know if you feel any energy shifts this this coming week um comment on our Instagram post and let us know if you did anything for the full moon
0: I agree like I don't know if it's my Lexapro (laughs) maybe that too <laughs> maybe maybe for me it's a little bit of my lexapro but i mean like god liz walked four miles today for some fucking reason and i got like 40 things done like that's not like us.
1: what the fuck is happening
0: <laughs> so something is definitely uh going on and you know another thing it was also aries season you know so a fire is getting lit under our asses true. And we're hopping to it. And I don't know about you, but we're super impatient to get our vaccines. I want to be vaccinated. I want to see my family again. I want to start planning my wedding. I want to plan a trip to see Liz in Colorado. I want Liz to be able to come see me.
1: Oh, I want to travel so bad. I want to go to a fucking bar and have a drink with my friends. I want to go to concerts. I want to have fun. Like, Obviously, I've found ways to have fun at home, Um, but I just have this bug now to go out and do things, like, because I can't, (laughs) and I'm, like, antsy. I'm, like, literally just antsy because I'm waiting to get my vaccine. Um, I bought tickets for the first um, thing in over a year. The event is not until December of 2021, but I am... I will be vaccinated by then. So I bought tickets to something. Uh, I am going to the Vincent van Gogh immersive experience <gasps> because they're coming to Denver. Oh my God. Where it's like in this, in this space where they make you feel like you're in the painting. The, the painting is on the floor. It's on the walls, it's on the ceiling and it's moving and there's music and there's storytelling Um, I've seen an ad for that on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, they're going to be in Denver, October, November, and December, so I bought tickets to that because uh, I was like, I am not missing that. If you are an artist or you went to art school, I know it's super cheesy for Vincent Van Gogh to be, like, one of your favorites, but... I love him partially because he was my mom's favorite artist. We shared that together. My first minivan was named Vincent Van Gogh. I knew you used to crack me the fuck up, Van Gogh. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And um, so I bought tickets to something. I haven't done that in over a year. And it was a very exciting just to like be like, I'm purchasing tickets to an event. I'm doing it. Um, so that was just a very exciting moment for me to even purchase tickets to something.
0: Uh, now you got me sitting over here wondering like, where the hell are we going to be living in December that I can start looking for tickets? Because I'm i not even kidding. I'm about to waste all my money on concert <laughs> tickets the second that I can.
1: Okay. Okay. Um. Whenever you come to Denver, we have to go to a Red Rocks concert together because that is just an experience you have to have.
0: Is that the one that it's outside and it's like the big red I've heard so many people talk about how cool that venue is.
1: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have to do that when you come to visit one day.
0: Oh man, one day you guys will see the 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 day that we finally get to see each other in person again. It's going to be we will not only will it be crazy, but we will record to go along with it
1: oh i agree we should (laughs) we'll
0: record together the quality will be top-notch i mean the quality is pretty good for two people just doing this over zoom i mean yeah come on now not to mention whenever we um hint hint start uh the next podcast All of us are going to be in different areas of yeah. the United States.
1: So that was just a little Easter egg. Yeah. That you'll connect one day. Comment comment with an egg on the Instagram post if you listen to that. If you got this far, yeah, put an egg on the comment.
0: <laughs> no one leaves an egg.
1: <laughs> like, damn.
0: <laughs> i mean shit like i know people got lives they sometimes not probably don't be listening to the entire episode can't blame yeah
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god <sighs> well
0: oh my god. shit uh anyways i guess we'll just wrap this episode up so uh we'll leave the link to the archetype quiz down below if you didn't already stop to take it in the beginning of the episode and we'll also leave our link to our merch shop down below as well or down below why do i say down below like the in the description box god not description box fuck in the, <laughs> in the episode description god when you're on social media like what platform is this what fucking platform is this jesus it'll be in the description the links will be there yeah <laughs> I just smacked this shit out of my mic. Okay, that's it. I'm done. Signing off. (laughs) Bye.